video to show you um, first about Operation Christmas Child. So please enjoy. Who doesn't want a gift? Who doesn't want a present? If someone has to ask, why should we take the energy and the time to pack a shoebox full of love for the children of the world, then they're asking the wrong question. <laughs> Operation Christmas Child has already provided the linkage and all of the framework for a pastor to be able to export their church's care and compassion to the world without having to recreate I would say to every pastor who's a person like me and every civic leader, why wouldn't you want to do that? It doesn't just carry love and compassion and a tangible expression of that, but it carries the message of Jesus. And what we know is when the message of Jesus reaches people, that gospel births something inside of them called faith in God. To know that there's a real story on the other end of that box. A child for a child, a kid for a kid. There are children's lives around the world right now that are linked to our story and that we're linked to their story through what Samaritan's Purse and Operation Christmas Child makes reality. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises together.
Father, you are God. We are in awe of you. We join with all of your creation in singing your praises. We pray that your spirit would be so present with us that we would be ever more aware of your presence with us. And we ask that you would help us to be open to your voice as you speak to us. Help us to be ready. And may we be changed by you. Amen. Let's sing that once more. The scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 40. Paul and Silas in prison. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, 
These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They, were, they brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates set, them, set their officers to the jailer with the order, Release those men. Then the jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to uh, take a moment, uh, share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. Normally, I'm not a big fan of people using their cell phones during church, but I'm going to give you a a pass today if, only if, you use your phone, if you have like the QR reader and you can read the little code there on the bottom of that to sign up for the prayer vigil. I'll give you a pass on that one today. Um, Prayer vigil starts today at 5 o'clock, but we have a a pre-service gathering at about 4.30 this afternoon here in the sanctuary. We'll be singing, praying together. lighting candles together, sharing a little bit. And uh, I hope that you are planning, if you're not already involved in coming and being a part of the prayer vigil. I know it, 
It seems like a lot to ask to come for an hour to pray, but there is a lot of stuff in the room to do to help you. Uh, we have a variety of things in there, and uh, I think there's some pictures that are going across the screen that give you a little bit of an idea of the some of the things that are there, interactive things you can do. There are written guides. There are lots of materials, and we'd just love to have you participate. I, I think it would be, I think you'll benefit from it. I think we as a church will benefit, and even beyond to the community around us. So I, the vision in my mind about this prayer vigil came to me as I was praying in there the other day and praying for this event. And I, I was reading in Exodus chapter 40, and you get to the end of Exodus, and God says to Moses, all right, all the stuff that you've gathered, everything you've prepared for the tabernacle, put it in place. And says they, they put up the tent and they bring in the uh, altar and they put, bring in the utensils and the bowls and the basins and, and put up the curtains and everything they're going to do. And they get it all done and they step back and the scripture says the glory of the Lord came down upon that place. And it was amazing. And that's the image of what I'd love to see happen as we gather for this time of prayer. That uh, we've, we've gotten everything ready the room is ready to go. In fact, after the church, feel free to go downstairs and take a look at it. Um, everything's ready. And now we're praying that the glory of the Lord will come upon us as we gather to pray. Father, we ask that you will bless this event. And we pray that you will help us as we think about your word today. Fill our hearts with the truth of your spirit. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. In many ways, to be human is to be hurt. To be human is to endure pain and struggle and opposition. There's not a one of us here today that hasn't been opposed by someone, that hasn't been hurt by someone, that hasn't felt betrayed by someone. Every one of us, because we're human beings, face this kind of stuff. And we face it not just as individuals, but as the corporate body of Christ. Today is the day when the church commemorates around the world. We pray for the persecuted church. And we've been doing that every Sunday for a while. But today, all of that is concentrated. And churches all over the world are praying for our brothers and sisters who face persecution and opposition simply for being Christian. And in the midst of that, how do we respond? What do we do? Paul and Silas find themselves in a very similar kind of circumstance. They do a good deed for this girl and end up beaten and thrown in prison because of it. And if anyone had reason to be angry and bitter and resentful, they would. And yet what we find from them and from other people throughout the scripture and throughout the book of Acts is that what they do, what they, how they respond, what they offer to people around them is not a vindictive spirit, but forgiveness. And the church, when it's, when it's right, the church when we're doing what we're intended to do, offers forgiveness whether it's deserved or not. We keep offering forgiveness. You know, the story of Paul and Silas, you know, they, they're representing Jesus. They've set this, this girl free. They are witnessing to the truth of Jesus. The accusations against them are completely false. In chapter 7, Stephen encounters a similar experience. He's stoned to death. And the accusations against him are completely false. And yet, the response is forgiveness. And I'm convinced that's what God is calling us to offer to a world and to other people who treat us in ways that leave hurt and pain and scars and difficulties. One of the reasons why I think forgiveness is so powerful and so important is because it's, it always surprises people when we forgive them. In our culture, I mean, 
in our culture, people know forgiveness is a good thing. But as C.S. Lewis said, uh, people always think forgiveness is the right thing to do until they have a need to forgive someone. And then it doesn't feel quite so right. And, and yet it is one of the most surprising things that we can do. It's one of the things that sets us apart as Christians. That when everyone else is saying, you ought to be going after them, you have every right to, be, to stay angry with them, to be bitter toward them, to hold a grudge against them, to be vindictive toward them, they deserve it. You have every right. We surprise people by saying, I'm going to forgive. It is one of the most powerful witnesses we have. Jesus says to his disciples, you know, everybody says you should love, love those who, are, who love you. I said, what good is that? What difference does that make? Everybody does that. People are nice to you. You're nice to them. Great. The real test is how do you respond to your enemies? How do you respond to the people who have hurt you? How do you respond to the people who are against you? That's what sets you apart as my people. People don't expect it. And yes, the call on the church and the call on Christians. Now, offering forgiveness, I think one of the reasons we sometimes struggle to offer forgiveness is because we think it implies that, that that's just going to make all the hurt go away or that we are letting people off the hook. And the reality is forgiveness doesn't minimize our pain and it doesn't ignore the truth. It just addresses it. You know, there are, there are some psalms that have been written that, quite frankly, we don't read them in church unless you're going to explain them because they're kind of shocking. You know, some of those psalms where God come down and, and uh, destroy these people and let me tell you how I want it done in great detail. And we read those psalms and we think, yikes, that doesn't sound very Christian. And it leads some people to think that, you know, the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament. But Eugene Peterson helped me a lot with this when he, he says that the Psalms in many ways are like journals for the Israelites. And in a journal, you write down your deepest thoughts. You write down the things that you're thinking and feeling. And you put those in paper. Not because you, not because you really want those things to happen, but because it's a way of expressing it. It's a way of getting it out. And in some ways, the Psalms are like that. They're a means of, of expressing the hurt and the pain in our hearts. And actually, we need to do that. What kind of forgiveness do we offer if we don't acknowledge the hurt and the pain? I mean, the, there is no forgiveness for something that we say, whatever. As one author says, forgiveness is not just saying, oh, never mind. No, it's giving us a different perspective so that in the midst of the difficulties and the struggles and the pain, we respond differently. It doesn't mean we ignore injustice. In fact, we ought to, we ought to continue to fight injustice. We just do it with a different spirit. It's one of the things that's fascinated me for years about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. When apartheid came to an end, Nelson Mandela, who became the president of South Africa, appointed Bishop Desmond Tutu as the leader of this commission. And their, their purpose and their plan was to give anyone who wanted to, every single person who wanted to, come before them and tell their story. All the pain, all the agony, all the reality the truth. And once they had stated the truth, and in many cases they had the opportunity to speak directly to the people who had hurt them, once they had the opportunity to speak the truth and acknowledge it, now they could begin the process of forgiving. Sometimes we think forgiveness is acting as if stuff didn't happen. All that does is just shove it down more. It has a tendency to make us more bitter, more anxious, more frustrated. And sometimes it's hard to, to acknowledge, to get it out in the open. But that's the first step of forgiveness. 
We're honest about it. Now, let me say this. Forgiveness is not the same thing as trust. We forgive people, but it takes a while to develop trust once again. But as we're developing trust, we forgive. And we keep working toward ending injustice, and we keep working toward doing what's right. But we do it in a different spirit. I think this is one of the reasons why prayer is so essential to this process. You'll notice in verse 25 that it says Paul and Silas were in that prison praying. Prayer is essential to the process. As, as I was down in the prayer room this week praying about this event and I was sitting in front of each of the various stations and there are, there are boards and stations in each, each, for each of these sermons that we've been walking through this fall and of course one of them is forgiveness. And I spent some time looking at that and thinking about that and processing that and realizing that it takes time in prayer to come to the place of being able to forgive some things. Some pain is so deep and so painful that it takes a while praying about it and continually praying about it and coming back and praying about it. We keep coming back and back to it, but we need those times of prayer because in prayer, we come into the presence of God and he begins working in our hearts and we pour out our hearts to God and we tell him all in honest terms everything that we're thinking and feeling and that gets us where we need to go. And sometimes we have to adjust our prayers. You know, we, we, we want to pray, Lord, help me to forgive. But sometimes we can't pray that. Sometimes all we can pray is, Lord, help me, help me to want to forgive. And quite frankly, sometimes we can't even pray that. Sometimes the only prayer we can legitimately pray is, Lord, help me want to want to forgive. Because right now, I don't even want to want to forgive. The great thing is about our prayers with God is we we can be completely honest with him. That's all he's asking for. And he can take that and he starts where we are. He doesn't expect us to go where he is. He comes to us. But if we never spend time in prayer, if we never spend time wrestling with God about these things, we'll go nowhere. I read about a a guy who came, was a pastor, and he, he came to a new church. And for some reason, one of the parishioners in the church took a dislike to him. To this day, he has no idea why. And this, this man started spreading rumors about him, heinous things, telling people that he was stealing money from the church and that he was having an affair with somebody in the church. And this, this got back to him, and he tried to talk with the guy, but to no avail. The guy wouldn't talk to him at all. He just kept coming to church and kind of smirking at him. How you doing, Pastor? And he said, I, I built up such a feeling of anger and bitterness and vindictiveness toward this man. And I was praying one day, and God said to me, you got to do something about that. He said, I know, I'm trying to. He goes, no, that's not what I mean. And he reminded me of that scripture that says, anybody can love their friends, loving your enemy, that's what I want you to do. And I want you to pray for me to bless him. And he says, Lord, I, no. He said, couldn't we pray? I, I could, I'll be willing to pray one of those psalms on him that we were talking about. That you come and you destroy him. Uh, that I'll pray. I'll pray that. God says, no, that's not exactly what I had in mind. He said, after some wrestling in prayer, he finally said, okay, Lord, I'll pray for you to bless him, but you have to know, I don't mean it. I really don't. I don't mean it. And then he got to the place where he said, okay, Lord, I'll pray it. And he said, my prayers came out something like this. I pray that you will bless this horrific man who's doing all these horrific things. And I pray that you'd bless his wife. I don't know how in the world she lives with such a person. And I pray that you'd bless his children that they would never, ever be like him. And he said, that's how my prayer started. That's all I had. 
But I started there. And eventually, over time, that prayer softened a little bit. And after months and months of praying those prayers, he said, I still remember the Sunday morning, the guy came to me in church and said, good to see you, Pastor, and has a smirk on his face. And he said, and I said to him, it's good to see you, and I meant it. But it took a lot of praying, honest praying, to get me to that. That's where we start. We start there. You see, this, this comes back to giving, uh, being willing to give up our rights to hold the grudge. I, I wonder, you know, when I, whenever I read a, a passage of Scripture, one of the questions I, I'm asking is, where, where's the vision of God in this text? Where do we see God here? What's God doing here? And in this passage, there's very, very little mention of God at all. But I am convinced that as that it is this event that Paul is thinking about when years later he writes to the church in Philippi, this very church that he's ministering to from the prison, he writes to them and says, Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but took on the nature of a servant and humbled himself to death on a cross. At some point, we have to give up our right to hang on to our bitterness and our anger. We let it go. And I am convinced that one of the ways we do that is to remember that just as people hurt us, let's be honest, we hurt other people sometimes. And sometimes we are the person that other people are struggling to forgive. And it's hard hard to grasp that because when we hold on to our bitterness, we, we have a feeling of superiority over other people. I'm better than you. You hurt me so bad. I don't hurt people like that. And maybe we don't hurt people like that, but... None of us are perfect. And if we can't think of some way we've hurt other people, we know we've hurt God. We know we've sinned against God. And until we accept the forgiveness of God, it's almost impossible to forgive other people because we can't forgive ourselves. We need to experience the forgiveness of God so that we realize anything good about us is grace. We're not superior to other people. We've just been changed by the grace of God. And it melts our hearts. And the most fascinating thing is that when you begin to realize that we owe everything good in our lives to God, and we spend time in prayer, it begins to dawn on us that as we forgive people, It's not weakness, it's strength. It's because it's Jesus. It's who Jesus is. It's the ultimate act of strength to be weak and to say, I forgive. And what we find when we forgive is that forgiveness is is really less about that person than it is about us. We sometimes think, you know, I've got this, I'm going to give you this gift. I'm going to forgive you because I'm such a great person. And I want you to know I'm a great person because I'm going to forgive you. But the truth is, the gift's not so much for them as it is for us. Because when we forgive, we don't set them free. We set ourselves free. This whole dynamic of freedom and enslavement is woven throughout this whole story. Paul and Silas are walking free around the city and they encounter this girl who is enslaved. And they set her free. And when they set her free, it leads to their imprisonment. And they're sitting in this prison with stocks in this stinking place. And what everybody else thinks is that 
they're all free and Paul and Silas are in prison. But the reality is Paul and Silas are the only ones who are free in the whole story. And I think the jailer comes to realize that. All of a sudden, when the earthquake happens and nobody runs, and he comes in and he, he talks to them, all of a sudden it dawns on him, I've been looking at life like a photographic negative. Everything has been backwards. The reality is, these guys are the only ones who are free. I'm enslaved. And his question, how can I be saved, is really, how can I be set free? How can I have what you have? This is what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, if you don't forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father won't forgive you. And it's not some kind of cause-effect formula. It's not like God is in heaven saying, all right, the minute you forgive them, then I'll forgive you. Because when Jesus goes to the cross, he forgives all everything. He forgives all of our sins. The reality is, the question is, are we going to receive his forgiveness? And holding on to bitterness, refusing to forgive other people, is simply blocking God's forgiveness to us. It's building up walls and barriers to, to us experiencing the fullness of God's forgiveness. Being set free. And you'll notice in verse 25 that it says, Paul and Silas are not just praying, they're singing. I've been pondering that for a few weeks. I think there's something connected to singing and forgiveness. When you're sitting in a stinking, rotten, rotting jail cell, and you can sing hymns of praise to God, and you know you're there based on false accusations, and you don't deserve to be there, and you have every right in the world to feel vengeance and vindictiveness and anger and hatred and bitterness toward the people who put you there. And then to be able to sing hymns of praise to God. Wow. It says something about what's going on in their hearts. I actually think it's the singing is what gets the attention of the jailer. I'm convinced that he's been listening to them sing, and he's running the same questions through his mind that we are. How in the world could they do that after everything we've put them through? Why would they sing hymns of praise? Why would they be, have the spirit of joy in the midst of everything that they've experienced? And when, and when the earthquake happens and nobody runs and they stay there, he runs in and says, okay, guys, I got to know. You've got to tell me, what, is, what do you have that I don't have because I want it? And I am convinced that one of the ways in which God works in our hearts as we struggle to forgive is a willingness to be able to sing praises to God in spite of our pain and in spite of our struggle. Because something in us realizes that as we surrender that pain and surrender that struggle, and as we forgive, we start feeling set free. Free to sing, free to praise, free to keep on forgiving. I have a friend who has for as long as I have known him, struggled with a family member. This is a story of abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, mental abuse. And it hasn't really, it hasn't really subsided as the years have gone along. The physical abuse has stopped. But the mental, emotional abuse continues. And he and I have had a lot of conversations through the years about it. And his wrestling with it. And his bitterness and anger 
and struggling, and he's tried a number of things to, to try to work through it. But it's just been eating away at him. And he knows that. From time to time, he acknowledges that, but it just sits there. And he knows that in one sense, he has every right to hang on to all of that. Every right to, to hold it and, and to nurture it. Not too long ago, he, he talked to me. And he said, I am, I want you to know that I've come to the place where I can't do this anymore. I've come to the place where I, I've got to forgive. And he talked to me a few days later and said, I went to this person and I said, I forgive you. I forgive you for all the stuff that's happened. I forgive you for all the stuff that has still been happening. I forgive you. And as he was telling me this, he said to me, I I don't know how to explain exactly what happened that day, but it felt like a thousand pounds were lifted off my shoulders. He said, what I thought was, was giving up my right to be angry was really an act of set, being set free. And he said, I can't even explain to you how free I feel right now. And then he said that, there's, that this question has been going through his mind ever since then. And that question has honestly kind of been haunting me. He said, I thought to myself, Why did I wait so long? Why did I waste so many years? I don't know what you're wrestling with. I don't know what you're struggling with. But most of us are struggling with something. And I want us to know the freedom of forgiveness now. Not to get down the road 10, 15, 20, 40 years and say, why did I wait so long? Why did I waste so much time? The God who forgives us gives us grace to forgive others. In this moment of silent meditation, hear God speaking and let him hear your heart. Father, thank you for forgiving us. Help us to see that forgiveness sets us free. Give us the grace and the courage to do just that. Pray this through Christ. Amen.
As we respond to all that God is speaking into our hearts, we're going to sing together and we're also going to invite the ushers to come to receive our tithes and offerings. It's the opposite of how you feel When the pain they cause is just too real It takes everything you have to say the word Forgiveness Forgiveness Lies in the face of all your pain Moves away the mad inside. It's always anger's own worst enemy. Even when the jury and the judge say you got a right to hold the grudge, whisper in your ear, say, set it free.
Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the Today, before we go, we just, we just want to pray that you will help us to be people who forgive. And Father, we pray not only for ourselves, we pray for people in this congregation who are struggling with grief, are struggling with physical illness, for a variety of needs, we ask your grace. We pray for this world and pray for Anthony Petrillo as he is going to Africa and working there and helping to set up schools and we pray you'd bless his efforts and Lord on this day we join churches all around the world to pray for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted. It's hard for us to understand what they are going through. We pray that they would know your grace and protection. They would know our support and love. We pray that you would help them to be a witness and to forgive the people whom they have every right not to forgive. Father, we pray for your grace in each of our lives. We thank you for hearing our prayers as you always do, as we offer them through Jesus. Amen. This morning, I want to, um, before you go, I want to just ask you to do me a favor. If, um, If you're wrestling today with forgiveness... This week, I'd love to hear from you. Please pray for me. Uh, I've, I've 
asked someone to forgive me or I've made a decision to forgive in my heart and I just want to tell somebody about it, send me a note. If you want to meet with me, I'm happy to do that. I think sometimes it's helpful to have somebody else involved in our process of working through this. So I I would encourage you to, me or someone that uh, can help pray through this with you and be a support. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.